Welcome back to the RMD podcast from Reverse Mortgage Daily, hosted by me, RMD editor Chris Clow. In this show, we speak with reverse mortgage business leaders, professionals, government officials, and thought leaders to provide listeners with the pulse of the reverse mortgage industry and all of the business and regulatory realities which affect it. In this episode, I'm joined by reverse mortgage industry educator and trainer Craig Barnes to talk about the realities of selling reverse mortgages in the challenged market of 2023. An industry veteran formerly from RMF, Barnes discusses with me how the reverse mortgage product can be positioned for senior clients, why the reverse mortgage is full of premium features that originators should try and focus on, as well as providing an assessment of how well the industry has been doing in its ongoing mission to connect with senior borrowers, all while swimming against a tide of reputational issues that industry professionals know so well. Hope you enjoy it. Craig, thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the RMD podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Of course. No, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, you know, something that I always like to ask our guests, and I don't think I've ever actually had the conversation with you specifically, but I love asking people how they got into this business because there's no one path and it's not like you have an abundance of kids on playgrounds dreaming of becoming reverse mortgage professionals someday. So I'd love to hear your reverse mortgage origin story. How did you first hear about the product category and what led you to realize that this could be a viable career path for you? Well, I, I would say it's somewhat accidental. I was hired back in the summer of 2004 by, at the time, BNY Mortgage to train on the on mortgages, on forward and reverse. And reverse needed uh, some training as we were building that channel. And uh, so I was asked to sit with folks in sales, folks in operations, to learn the system, learn the product. And little by little, and especially then BNY uh, later became Everbank, reverse, and then we were only in reverse. So we, you know, we divested ourselves of the forward world and it just stemmed from there i was hired to train be a mortgage trainer which ended up being reverse only so i mean i love the product i think it had so much value to so many people so i really wanted to stay with it what was your journey of discovering that you loved the product did you need to be convinced or did you find that it was reasonably self-explanatory for you well, I think probably a little bit of convincing at first because, you know, we all hear the myths and, you know, hear the stories that, you know, the bank at your house and, and all of that, knowing quickly, though, that that wasn't true. Uh, and also talking to salespeople who had clients whose lives were changed by having the ability to stay in their home. Um, eventually to purchase, you know, a home that might be more appropriate for their needs in their later years, that really, you know, that really uh, stuck with me and realized quickly that this is a product that has a lot of uses that and not only uses for the folks that might, it might be the only alternative for, but even as a planning tool. Uh, well, You've had positions as a trainer and as an educator, and the reverse mortgage industry seems 
to pour a lot of resources into education, understandably so, because of what you just alluded to. There are a lot of people who don't really understand what the product is and, and the, the potential service that it can provide for them in a particular financial situation. Um, but there does still seem to be a little bit of a barrier with the public particularly, but also with other mortgage professionals, as you well know. What do you think are the most commonly under-discussed elements of a reverse mortgage that should really be a bigger part of the conversation, whether from the perspective of the originator or the wider industry? Well, I think there are a few. Believe it or not, it's still the bank doesn't own your house sometimes. You know, you still hear that. Uh, and I think we've done a great job internally in our in our industry and with new participants, even in the forward world, understanding and getting the message out that that simply isn't true. But um, I think one of the things that I think is a great feature on all Heckam Arms is line of credit growth. And I don't know if maybe because of a misunderstanding, maybe because it's just not talked about enough, but I think it's one of those features that if explained correctly, can really be a big difference, you know, that really can hit home and where people can understand, especially as we see economies change. Um, we're in a, you know, a fairly high interest rate right now compared to what we've seen in the last few years. But when you think of that as a negative, where we look at it might be decreasing our principal limits um, and maybe increasing our loan balances faster, but also remember. If you have a higher rate, that line of credit is going to grow faster as well. So especially in not so great markets, explaining that there are still advantages to the product, I think is huge. But I, I think line of credit growth is one of the things that is a great tool. It's a great feature of the product and isn't always discussed or even understood. Is there any particular reason you think that um, there's a barrier to that specific topic of the reverse mortgage conversation and the value proposition not being able to break through into a wider realm of understanding? I, maybe a little bit. Uh, sometimes I think confusion. You have a, Sometimes you have a lot of loan officers who are getting into the space. Maybe they're not quite clear on the calculations. You know, our system, our, our industry, I think, does a great job in all of our all the systems that are out there in spitting out a loan comparison that explains that shows numbers but sometimes if you don't know the math behind it especially if you get a client who you know we always talk about the re retired accountant or mathematician or or whatever and they want to understand well, where is the, are these numbers coming from? Where is that growth coming from? And if they don't understand it, if they don't have a good concept of the growth, then I think it gets a little bit confusing. And maybe then they shy away from even explaining it at all. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Well, it seems like there's any number of potential possibilities uh, that the industry has long been trying to diagnose. I mean, the fact that that principal limit continues to grow and is going to grow regardless of what the how what your price, you know, with the value of your property is, for instance. I mean, that's a huge selling tool. You don't get that with a HELOC. And that's a lot of what our borrowers are looking at are HELOCs. And, you know, yes, you can get $100,000 maybe from a HELOC, but 
you borrow that $100,000 or you borrow $50,000 of that, you're never going to get more than 100000 Even if you pay all of it back, you're never going to get more than 100000 Not the case with a line of credit on a HECM. Sure. Yeah. Well, that kind of brings up another question to my mind, just based on conversations that you've had at the different companies that you've worked at and with the different salespeople over the years. Would you say that the reverse mortgage industry competes more with providers of HELOCs or with the forward mortgage side of the business? Because I know that there's been bewilderment about older people jumping into new 30-year mortgages. What do you think is the biggest source of competition when it comes to other industries? I think we, my guess, I don't have numbers necessarily to to back this up, but from what I hear, probably HELOCs. Um, But also, I think we're also competing with the borrower who was looking or was thinking about contemplating selling their home because they didn't think a traditional mortgage was feasible for them or that they would get approved or they're 65, 70, 75 years old and they don't want to go into a new 10, a 30 year mortgage and maybe 10 or 15 year mortgage. They're concerned about the payments. So I think HELOCs are big because I think the, the knee jerk thought is, well, if I can get a HELOC, I can use that for a while um, just because they're you know kind of easy to get in, in most cases. But I also think we contend about the, for the borrower who is thinking about selling their home because they don't even know of alternatives like reverse mortgages. You know, they think it's a HELOC and maybe they don't want the payment. Maybe they don't want, you know, don't want that um, or they don't think they qualify. And they don't even know that there's an option. So they were going down the sale route. And now we can, you know, show them a different way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so if if you got into the business in 2004, then you've spent the better part of 20 years as a part of the reverse mortgage industry. And I mean, you, you go back that far, there's been a ton of change, but there's been a particularly interesting period of change over the past few years stemming from the pandemic and then additional economic volatility And now with the changing landscape of the leading lenders taking place again, how would you say this period of change compares to others that you've seen in the past over the course of your career? Well, I I will say personally, I made it through all of those changes, all of those down, you know, maybe, you know, declines in the market. I was employed through all those and this one I'm not. So on a personal level, there's a big difference. But I also feel like this one happened much faster. There wasn't some, you know, in 2008 when we had the mortgage meltdown and we saw the big banks getting, you know, getting out and, and you know, we had the, um, uh, what the stress, not stress test. What do they call it? The, you know, when the federal government was going from bank to bank to bank to see if they could survive. Um, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, those kind of things. And it seemed a little bit longer you know, ramp up to those changes where this, at least at RMF, it seemed like it happened pretty quickly. We saw not only what happened in the closing of RMF, but we've seen, you know, pretty big layoffs at some of the other major players in the industry in the last few months, you know, but over the summer, it seemed like we were just kind of chugging along, realizing the rates were starting to creep up, but nothing 
major. Um, but all of a sudden, it seemed like rates started to spike and principal limits started to decline. And it just was very, very fast to me. Um, I think, you know, but we've already seen the market come back a little bit. Rates are looking a little bit better. I'm hearing that on the secondary market, there, you know, there's a little bit more liquidity there. So we're already seeing, I think, you know, a changing of the tide, but it just, it seemed to me to happen much faster than any of our declines or changes in the market that we've, that I've been involved in since 2004. Uh, several analysts that I've spoken with over the past few months uh, are pretty quick to lay blame on the contraction of the industry, on the the reliance on refinances, Heckam to Heckam refinances. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah, because depending on what lender you're talking to, a lot of lenders out there had maybe 40%, some a little bit more, some a little bit less, with it, with a few exceptions out there that I know of. But it, it, it may have represented, I would say, between 25 and 50% of a lot of lenders' businesses. And when those rates continue to go up and up and up, the refi opportunity is gone. So you couple that with those higher rates so you can't necessarily you know you may not be able to get as much money uh from a loan not a refi just a regular uh heckam um and you couple that with everything else going on in the industry it really i think it was kind of a perfect storm sure yeah well um Considering the changes that the industry has gone through and the uh, increasing importance of product education that we've seen over the past few years in particular, how would you assess the state of reverse mortgage industry education? Do you think that it's done, the industry, I mean, has done enough trying to reach people about the possibilities of the product, or do you think there's more to do that hasn't already been tried? Well, I think we can always do more. I mean, I heard, what are we up to now, 11 trillion dollars of equity that in the senior market that's out there so certainly we can always do more if we have that number out there um but i think we're making inroads i think we've done a lot i member of the education committee at nirmala and we have done a lot with even educating through um for nmls classes as well where now we're not only getting reverse loan officers we're getting forward loan officers so i mean i think that helps you know spread the message out there as well um i think lenders can do more also just educating the public because ultimately you know we have to still we still see the stigma in there for the bank at your home they're too expensive again not because not understanding what some of the advantages are. Um, so I think, you know, education is key, but not only educating our staffs are, our, our, um, you know, but I think the public as well. I think we could, we could really make more inroads in education as far as, on, you know, on the uh, client side. Are companies investing enough in education? Well, as someone who's been a trainer for 30 years, I would I would never say yes to that. Um, so I would say no. I again, I think different companies do it differently. I know a lot of a lot of companies out there do have robust uh, training departments and education and they do not only do they, you know, train on reverse systems and and 
reverse basics and things like that. But they're also making inroads into um, educating clients and doing taking the information about uh, the bar, you know, the typical borrower and putting that into an education standpoint as well. So, you know, some giving them some information regarding putting out some information on how they can use the product, different ways to use the product. Um, so it's not just seen as a product of last resort. So, I mean, I think they're all making inroads, but you know, we can always do more. Well, you had mentioned um, NERMALA, the National Reverse Mortgage Lenders Association, the industry's preeminent trade group. Uh, and you've been leading something of a boot camp this month in training about reverse mortgage sales topics on their behalf. And I especially found the concept of uh, reverse mortgages premium features rather intriguing. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk a little more about that. How did it occur to you that the features could be presented that way? I can't take all the credit for it. I had a one of our our colleague, one of my colleagues um, at RMF, one of our sales leaders. Um, we were on a call one day, and he was talking about some of thinking about it a different way, thinking about a Heckam a different way, rather than thinking about uh, of it as a product of last resort. Which, hey, our clients do, but there's a lot of people even in the industry that still have that thought in their head. So, but why? Because one of the things they, that they, we talk about is you pay more money for things that may have value or may just have perceived value. The example that, that I often use sometimes in, when I talk about the premium features is you pay more money for a better seat on an airplane. For first class, or now I think pretty much you have to pay for a seat period anymore on most airlines. But you know, you pay more to be in the front. You pay more for an aisle rather than the center, or whatever. There's a value in that. There's that's a premium feature, and you're willing to. Most people very often are willing to pay something for that. So when you compare a forward mortgage that doesn't have the non-recourse feature, where principal and interest payments are due every month. Those are just two. When you compare that to a product that the home is the only source of repayment and no monthly principal and interest payments are due, just those two, why why are we thinking of that as a negative? Why aren't we thinking that of that as a premium feature of a HECM, not as a bad thing? Because I mean, how if you think about a traditional mortgage, you're making just principal and interest payments alone versus a HECM where none are required on a monthly basis. Why wouldn't someone be willing to pay a little bit more upfront and closing costs because be, so that they don't have to make a monthly mortgage principal and interest payment? Why isn't that considered a premium feature? So again, that's where that idea came from. Um, but I can't take credit for, for all of it. I added a few, but I can't take credit for the, for the thought. Based on conversations that you've had and, um, that other industry professionals have had that, you know, is that an argument that resonates with borrowers? What's your understanding of how they take that? I, th I think it, it does, but here, I, I think the, the disconnect sometimes is getting 
the the loan officer to change the mindset to come at it at that way. I don't know. I'm not 100% sure how much success we've had having loan officers internalize that concept of premium features because they have to internalize it first, I believe, in order to make that case to the potential client. So I think it's, I think in theory, they, they get it, but it's, it's almost like a mindset that they have to, you know, was, I, I, we, we can't be, I, I don't think we can't be apologists for, for the product or the industry or whatever. We have to treat it as a product, as a mainstream product that has advantages and here are some of them. Yes, you're going to pay a little bit more in closing costs, but you're not going to pay you're not going to have a monthly payment due each month. You're not going to have to worry about the loan balance ballooning more than the home's value because the home is the only source of repayment. So, things like that um I I think we have to just kind of internalize and then we'll start to make see a difference. What do you tell uh, reverse mortgage originators or salespeople when you're asked about the challenge in changing hearts and minds of borrowers? Is there anything in particular that you find helps them to do that more efficiently or better? Or is it just always kind of up in the air and individually dependent? I think a lot of it has to do with stories, believe it or not. I think a lot of them, once you, they either hear a story or maybe even better, they observe a situation maybe you know as a loan officer or just a colleague or something like that where someone was really uh, – really used the product well. Um, I, I think it, it starts to hit home. I was just talking to someone kind of on the fringe of reverse mortgages just the other day, and uh, this person was telling me about – the fact that he had gotten he his mother-in-law, I think it was his mother-in-law, uh, had done a reverse mortgage several years ago, and she would not she she was able to stay in her home. She she was in there for fourteen or fifteen years. She just she had just passed away. It worked perfectly for her. They would highly recommend it to everybody. But see, that's I think that and this person is not. A salesperson, not a reverse mortgage salesperson, um, and I think that's the type type of thing that really makes a difference. That starts to change the minds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, excellent. Well, I think that that's uh, something that people should take note about. Certainly, in in the industry, is the ability to to tell a story. I think that right. that does certainly have a lot of uh, a weight if if you can tell the story well and efficiently and in an illustrative way. So, no, I appreciate it, Craig. Um, well, you know, it's my understanding uh, that you're currently looking for new opportunities in the industry. Are you looking to jump back into the educational side or do you have a different preference? Well, I, I am looking at a couple things right now. I'd like to stay in the education side of it. Um, you know, but the education and training side of reverse touches a lot of different pieces of an organization. So, you know, I on a routine basis, I've worked with IT. I've worked with secondary. I've worked with underwriting. I've worked with operations, with sales. So whether a new role is, 
you know, as a, as an educator, as a trainer. Okay. If it's something that takes me outside, but I'd really, you know, outside of that area, I'd love to stay, you know, stay in the reverse space. And if I can learn a new aspect, become more of an expert in a different area, that's going to be great too. And I hope I have the ability. I hope I have the ability to stay in the industry because I really do think it's a good industry. Well, hey, you never know who's listening. You never know. So I hope so. You- That's part of the reason you talked about those Nirmala classes. We've had some great attendance on those. We have one more um, mm-hmm. coming up next week. So um want to make sure that I keep educating and I keep the message out there and keep me out there for that matter. Yeah, sure. Well, I'm sure that we'll be covering that on RMD after it takes place because I will be watching with great interest as I've watched all the other ones. It'll be good. I'm looking forward to it. Um, if someone wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. Uh, my email is probably the best. It's, um, I think, cmbarnes723 at gmail.com. Again, cmbarnes723 at gmail.com. Is there any other parting message that you'd like to send to our audience of reverse mortgage industry professionals? No, I think I, but I'm excited about what's coming around the corner. We've seen some, you know, better numbers uh, in the last couple of weeks. I think it'll continue to improve. And, you know, for those who are starting to think about getting into reverse, if you're listening, I think this is a great time. Why not get in and watch it, watch it grow? Sure. Yeah, of course. Well, Craig, thank you again so much for taking the time to uh, join me on this episode of the RMD Podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Chris. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the RMD Podcast. Again, I want to extend my appreciation to Craig Barnes for taking the time to join us and discuss all of the challenges that the industry is facing, while also offering proper context about the kinds of opportunities that are present in the space. For more news and insights on the reverse mortgage industry, be sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at reversemortgagedaily.com. If you haven't already, subscribe to the RMD podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast content. I'm Chris Clow, and this has been a production of HW Media. The RMD podcast is produced by Elissa Branch. Be sure to come back for an all-new episode very soon. See you next time.